I'm Carrie Miller. Each week, I have a brand new episode of Big Books and Bold Ideas, a show where readers meet writers. You can catch it on Fridays or stream it anytime you're ready to listen. But every week, we also give you a deep track, a conversation with a writer from the archives. Now, you may hear a writer whose work gives context to the fresh episode, or you may hear a previous show with the same author. And I hope that will give you a sense of the arc of the writer's creative expression. You're here because you care about books and reading. Thank you so much for listening. Phil, I don't know if you saw this story over the weekend. The New York Times uh, published an article on Friday that caught our attention. They're reporting that honeybees are still dying in large numbers, and there may be a drastic shortage in California. And that's where farmers are worried about where they'll find enough bees to pollinate their fruit and vegetable crops. We're turning to Dr. Marla Spivak for some perspective. She's a bee expert and a professor of apiculture at the University of Minnesota. She joins us from Minneapolis. Marla, welcome. It's good to talk with you again. Good morning, Carrie. Thanks. So a a bee researcher at the Federal Agriculture Lab told The Times that he believes the bee die-off is going to be, quote, much higher than it's ever been. I I wonder what you're hearing from the field. This is what we're hearing from the field also. Many beekeepers that took their colonies into California to pollinate almonds this year lost quite a few colonies. Not all beekeepers, but some took some drastic losses. Is this what we are heard of as referred to as colony collapse, or is that something different? In the general sense, yes, it's colony collapse. Originally, that was used to describe very specific symptoms of rapid disappearance of bees. Mm -hmm. But now we know that bees are dying from many causes. And so we use that term to describe all the colony losses that we see from the many reasons. And I remember the last time you were here, we talked about bees abandoning their hives and sometimes dying outside of them. I mean, is that is that also a symptom of what's happening here? Well, that was the original description of colony collapse disorder, that many bees were leaving the colony to die. Okay. And it was a sudden disappearance of many adult bees. But actually, you know, bees, to die, they leave their colony. That's how they die naturally. The difference was this was happening quickly and in mass. As you know, the Times article mentions these the growing concern about neonicotinoids, these pesticides that are actually bred right into the plants themselves. Is it too early to to really point the finger and say that's that's where the major investigation ought to be going on? Or are you also concerned about them? Yes, I'm very concerned about the neonicotinoids. I can't, we can't say that they are the cause, the only cause of bee deaths. We know that bees have many problems, but these are systemic compounds and they're not in, they're not bred into the plant. They're applied either on the seed or into the soil and they move through the plant and they're expressed in the leaves and they're designed to kill leaf eating insects, but they actually also move into the nectar and pollen and so Varying amounts end up in the bees' food as they're foraging on flowers. And so it depends on how much the bees consume, but we need to be really concerned because if they don't kill bees outright, they can have these drastic effects on bees' behavior. And one of them is the bees just can't find their way home. Hmm. Marla, what else are you worried about that might be the cause of this? Well, one of the other causes are these parasitic blood-sucking mites that bees have. It's called varroa. And 
it's like a little tick that sucks on the bee's blood. And these are so difficult to control in bee colonies. And bees have viruses. But And another main thing that's confronting the bees right now is this lack of flowers. We really have a flowerless landscape out there, and bees need flowers for good nutrition. So if bees have good nutrition and a lot of pollen and protein coming in and nectar coming in, then they are, they're better, better able to fight off these diseases, and it helps them detoxify some of the pesticides. If so you, uh, we really need bee flowers, bee-friendly flowers out there everywhere. If you have just tuned in, we're talking with Dr. Marla Spivak. Uh, she's a bee expert uh, from the University of Minnesota, and we're talking about the story that we spotted on Friday in the New York Times that is predicting, looking at some numbers and saying that it looks like when a big report comes out soon, we're going to have seen another great bee die-off. Researchers trying to figure out why. If you have a quick question here about bees, their behavior, what may be causing these these die-offs, I'm going to open the phone lines here. 651-227-6000, 800-242-2828. You can also send your question to me on Twitter at Carrie NPR. I remember we talked about this, Marla, the, 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 a, a very a, a f- leg- a landscape, I guess, that is just growing less and less friendly to bees. Um, is that the case even in a place like Minnesota where we still have a lot of rural landscape left? Or, or will you find this, you know, on the fringes of cities primarily? Well, it's... It's throughout Minnesota, really. I mean, think about all of the plantings of corn and soybeans that are going in, and Mm -hmm. even more corn this year. Mm -hmm. Every time we do that, we eliminate a lot of the flowering plants that bees need. And if you look at our roadsides, they're mowed or they're sprayed, and, and roadsides can be seeded in beautiful wildflowers for bees. A lot of our state land doesn't have flowers. A lot of our parks, think of golf courses, we have a lot of lawns. All of these things could be seeded in wildflowers that would be great for bees. And when you make these recommend, I mean, this is a big agricultural state. So when you make a recommendation when it comes to th- how we're dedicating our agricultural territory, is there a way to, to balance it out? Is there a way to, say, spend this much of the land on growing crops, but also spend this much of the land in planting the kind of flowers that the bees need. Right. There's a, there's a lot of good research going on that if you use, for example, in agricultural lands, if you use crop borders in specific locations, and if you're putting in native grasses and native flowering plants, it helps with soil erosion, and it really helps the soil while it's providing habitat for bees. And if it contains milkweeds, for example, it really helps our monarchs that are in trouble. And it will help provide bird habitat and wildlife habitat. So there's a lot of places where if we really think through carefully and we plant habitat for bees and monarchs and birds, it would really be helpful. We've got some and it wouldn't take away so much from agriculture. We've got some questions for you, Marla, to the phones to Jane in St. Cloud. Hi, Jane. Hi. Uh, could you give me some specific names of plants, and, and even the domesticated ones, as I'm planning for my garden, that I can be looking for packets? Sure. Go with the native perennials. You can try prairie clover. I'll just give you the common names. Mountain mint, bee balm. Everybody knows Monarda, and milkweeds. 
and uh, the late-season asters and goldenrods, all of those native plants that flower are great for bees. Honeybees, of course, really like clover and alfalfa and buckwheat, so if you have land that you can put a cover crop on for a while, that would be a good choice. Love that bee balm. I mean, it's just beautiful. You can't plant enough of that. Right. Uh, to Laura in Egan. Hi, Laura, your question. Yeah, awesome topic. Um, you know, we all know that eating fruits and vegetables are better for our health, and we spend a lot of money on health care, um, and this bee killing might mean that um, fruits and vegetables will become more expensive. And yet, as a government, we spend millions and millions of dollars just on GMO. There's no subsidies for fruits and vegetables, but it's all going to the big ad, which is the bee killing. Is this fundamentally a government problem because of the way that we do our subsidies? It's all going to corn and soy, which is all GMO modified, which is ultimately very destructive. Marla, the- what do you think? Yes, a lot of the the big crops are subsidized by the government, but but you know the. Uh, Michelle Obama is very pro fruits and vegetables, and we're changing our our regulations for what we need to have in school lunchrooms, for example. So, fruits and vegetables are back in, I would say, and and yes, they should be uh, encouraged. We should be growing more of them, which means we're going to need more bees to help pollinate them, and we need our honeybees and all of our wild bees to pollinate all these fruits and vegetable crops that we really need for our own diet. We've been doing our climate cast a segment every week, Marla, in which we talk about the science behind climate change. And I've been wondering if our changing climate is affecting this. You know, the droughts in places, the torrential rainfall in others, might that be a factor? Well, sure. The Last summer, we had a huge drought, not so much in Minnesota, but in other states. And when there's a drought like that, the flowers don't yield any nectar for the bees, or very little, which means that the bees aren't going to make that much honey. Mm -hmm. And there may be less pollen available, which is their protein source. So when there's a drought, there's not as many flowers, so that means the bees are malnourished. And so that, I think, was part of the problem for the bees this winter. They just went into winter not as well nourished as they would normally be. To Maria in Henderson. Hi, Maria. Hi, Maria. Your question for Marla. Okay. she's. Uh, I think she's playing the radio too loud. Uh, online hearing Kim in Minneapolis says bees have gotten more aggressive. Uh, she doesn't remember this kind of bee behavior when she was a kid. Is this a change in her perception or is there really something happening there? I guess the first question is, are, is she talking about bees or is she talking about ground nesting yellow jackets? Ah. So there's a lot. There's social insects called wasps that live in the ground. They're specifically they're yellow jackets, and if you run your lawnmower over them, for example, or walk on them, they're extremely uh, defensive of their nest and they sting quite a bit. Honeybees don't tend to be that uh, aggressive. They will defend their nest, but they're really not any more aggressive than they used to be. How are, how are things coming along for your bee center at the University of Minnesota? I think you were starting the fundraising when when you were here last. Oh, thanks for bringing that up, Carrie. Things are getting exciting. So it's a two-part center, and part of it will be at the Landscape Arboretum. And plans are underway, really, to begin building the outreach part of the bee center. So this would be a discovery center where the public can come learn about bees. We're still trying to raise money for the research lab over on the St. Paul St. Paul campus. How do you give if you want to be involved in that? Just go online, blab.umn.edu, and you can. that's our website, and you can give directly through there. Marla, good to talk with you as always. Thanks so much. Thank you, Carrie. Marla Spivak is a bee expert. She's a professor of apiculture at the University of Minnesota.